tell you what, if you can't preach after that, you just need to quit. That was amazing. Thank you very, very much. Pastor, thank you so much for the gracious uh, invitation and the opportunity to be with you. I've been excited about this day for a long, long time. Um, just curious, how many of you guys have ever been to or you know what a t-ball game is? Can I see your hands? That's why these guys are not old enough to hit a moving object, so they hit a ball sitting on top of a little tee. Don't you use your imagination. We have a six-year-old guy who steps up to bat. He's got the big league chew right here. It's bubblegum. And he pulls the bat back, and this six-year-old swings for the fence. He almost falls down. Uh, he catches just the top of the ball. The ball dribbles to the shortstop, who is five. He's as young as you can be and play t-ball. He scoops up the ball, and for the first time in his life, he's caught a moving object in the game, and he is so excited. He pulls the ball to his chest, and he smiles. Now, for those of you baseball fans, this is a Houston, we have a problem moment. Because the guy who hit the ball is going to first. The guy that was already on first is going to second. The guy that was on second is going to third. The pitcher just playing the position defensively yells out, throw the ball to third. He holds it to his chest and smiles. He's so proud he caught it. The rest of the infield and outfield start yelling, throw the ball to third, and then the coach. Coaches in Little League amaze me because they never get emotionally involved, right? <laughs> so we have the coach pulling the entire dugout back and forth, yelling with the rest of the team, throw the ball to third, and then the kid yells out, Mama, where's third? <laughs> I'm saying that to say this. We have a lot of teenagers today that are screaming out, where is third? Every year for about the last 10 years, between eight and 900,000 teenage girls have gotten pregnant outside of marriage, almost a half a million in those pregnancies every year in abortion. Take 50% of the juniors and seniors around the nation today, they are falling down drunk and driving at least twice a month during the course of the school year, which is why alcohol-related deaths kill more of our kids than any other thing. Uh, Josh McDowell is saying that 91% of the kids who grew up in our evangelical churches are checking out on faith at age 18. We're losing almost 91% of our own kids. So we're going to do a conference this afternoon. I want you to get this. This is not going to be a Baptist conference, okay? We're not starting at 501 or 30 seconds after 5. We're starting at 5. If it's just a pastor in me, we're starting at 5. We have 50 minutes, okay? I'm going to make you the same promise that Elizabeth Taylor made to all of her husbands when she was alive. I'm not going to keep you long, okay? So we're going to start <laughs> right at five, and we're going for 50 minutes. And we're going to talk about the keys to discipline. You're going to learn how do we pass on our faith and our values to the next generation. How does this become an internal thing? We're going to talk about self-worth and self-esteem and communication, how to create a culture of encouragement. Now, this is huge. Some of you, I can see it in your eyes right now. <clears throat> I am a grandparent. My kids are up and gone. Don't need to be here for this. If you're a grandparent and uncle, you get to hang out around your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews, this is for you. Some of you are thinking, my, my kids are young. I don't even have teenagers. Well, if you wait till they become teenagers before you get concerned about this stuff, you've missed your best opportunity. This is for parents, prospective parents, for those of you that are in college that one of these days you think you might want to get involved in all of this, if you're an adult in this room, I promise you this is going to be for you. Now, there is one group in this room who cannot come. Parents, listen carefully. You can't bring your kids in this room at 5, okay? Hello. You don't invite the enemy to your strategy session, okay? <laughs> so uh, we have something amazing 
We have something amazing for every age group, all right? So let's uh, let be at 5 o'clock, all right? Then we're going to take a 10-minute break, and tonight at 6. Now, I realize that this is a school night. We're going to be sensitive to your time. I promise you, we're going to share what we're going to share with you within an hour. By 7 o'clock, we'll be into the invitation, all right? So we're going to be a steward of your time. But tonight, I'm going to be talking about why is it that we understand the best? We understand the best, but we consistently settle for so much less. I'm going to give you the top 10 reasons why we all struggle with that, all right? Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity to get into your word. Hide me behind the cross. God, I know I have nothing to offer anybody in this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rule and reign during this message and invitation, that you would be lifted up high and holy, honored and glorified, and I thank you that as you are, that you'll draw each of us right unto yourself. God, it's my prayer that when we get done today, that nobody will be talking about the organization or the music or the messages. We'll just be awed that you showed up here today and did what only you can do. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. You got your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, when my son was born, I developed a bucket list of some things that I wanted he and I to do together. And those included, that bucket list included, I'm going to give you all of it, but it included baseball games in Wrigley Field, in the house that Ruth built, the old Yankee Stadium, and a baseball game at the Big Green Monster watching the Red Sox play. Well, we checked that one off the night before. Not only did we get to check it off that we saw a game in Fenway Park, the big green monster, we watched the Braves beat up on the uh, Boston Red Sox in Beantown. It was really cool. Now, we were on the freeway the next morning going back to Logan Airport. I passed a brand new black Cadillac Escalade. It's one of the nicest cars I've ever seen. Jet black, power everything. The two guys that were in the car were wearing very expensive clothes. They probably had on $50,000 each worth of jewelry. 18 karat Rolex watches, big diamonds. And by the way, I'm not being negative about money. I've had money, and I've not had money, and I've decided it's way better to have it. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about these men. Maybe these men were in love with Jesus and given millions of dollars to good causes. Maybe they were atheists. I don't know anything about them. I just know they were enjoying the symbols of success. I passed them, I got about uh, 400 yards in front of them, and I looked in shock as a gentleman cut them off, cut right in front of them. The guy cut hard to the left, the right front tire of that Escalade began to dig into the freeway. And then I watched in horror as it began to tumble end over end. These men were obviously not wearing seatbelts because about the third time over, both men came out of the front windshield about 30 feet up into the air and then head first into the pavement. The question of today is what happened to them next? Are we human beings having a, uh, who can choose if we want to have a spiritual experience? Or are we spiritual beings who are here briefly having a human experience? If the naturalists are correct, then we're just human beings who can choose if we want to have a spiritual experience. And when we die, we die. That's the end of the deal. The world just keeps rolling on. But if the claims of Christ are true, and if the biblical worldview is correct, and these men had made a reservation, then they immediately began to sing this song. If you could see me now, I'm walking the streets of gold. If you could see me now, I'm standing tall and whole. If you could see me now, you'd know I'd seen his face. If you could see me now, you'd know all pains erased. If you could see me now, you'd know I'd never, ever, ever leave this amazing, this amazing place. 
1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who's called you to account for the hope that's within you, and yet do it with gentleness and reverence. I got two assignments today. Most of you in this room are Christ followers. You've nailed this down. You believe the claims of Christ are true. You believe in a biblical worldview. Well, I want to ask you this question. If you were standing toe-to-toe to an atheist, a person who does not believe the Bible's true, listen to this, without your Bible, can you prove that what you believe about Jesus is really true? Well, if you take some good notes, you'll be able to do that by the time that we get to the end of today. There's some of you in this room, you've not yet decided. You're not sure about the claims of Christ. What I'm going to do today is give you four reasons why I have come to believe in a biblical worldview. Pascal made an amazing statement. God always gives enough light to those who are open to belief and enough shadows for those who want to justify their unbelief. I was at the post office. This guy said to me, Jerry, don't tell me you're going to give me this. Jesus is the only way to get the God thing. I mean, hello, look at this post office. There's a road over there. There's one there and there. And then on this side, there are multiple entrances. There are probably seven, eight ways to get to this post office. I said, well, that's great. But when I die, I don't want to go to this post office. (laughs) There may be eight or nine ways to go to the post office, but ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through a personal relationship in repentance and faith with Jesus Christ, who came and he lived the perfect life we can't live. He died on the cross. He defeated sin and death. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God unless he comes through me. So I'm going to give you four reasons why I've come to believe in a biblical worldview. Number one, I believe in the claims of Christ and the biblical worldview scientifically. Uh, There are only two options for how we got here. Either we live in a created world, or we live in a world that can be purely explained through naturalism. I love this. This is kind of the teleological argument for God. If you have a watch, that means you have a watchmaker. If you have a painting, you have to have a painter. I spent one of the most amazing afternoons of my life in the Sistine Chapel with my family, and we, 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 watched, we looked up at these amazing scenes that Michelangelo painted on that scene. Those paintings, those murals didn't just happen. He spent 12 years on his back. He sacrificed most of his eyesight as that oil dripped into his eyes. If you have a painting, you have to have a painter. If you have a creation, you have to have a creator. I love Psalm 33, beginning in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a heap. He put the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood forth. Ladies and gentlemen, creationism. I believe that's the explanation, but I didn't always believe that. There was a time in my life when I didn't want to believe in God. Honestly, I didn't want to believe in God because I didn't want to have to answer to Him. And I want to issue the same challenge that was issued to me. I want you guys to do this this afternoon. Prove to me spontaneous generation. I'm just going to give you one illustration of this. Prove to me spontaneous generation. Take what you learned in microbiology and chemistry, organic chemistry, And show me how we got from the primeval soup, the proteins, amino acids, polypeptides of the primeval soup, to a single cell. Back 150 years ago when naturalism was born, this was considered a gimme. Do we have any golfers in the room? 
Gimme is a Scottish term. I didn't see many hands, Pastor. That means most of these people are not going to heaven. Okay, so I just, you know what I'm saying? Golf is a requirement. I, you, you may not have known that, but I'll try to help you out with that. But, it, but in Scotland, where golf was born, they came up with the term of a gimme. Now, Americans have perverted this practice. A gimme in America is from the putter head to the grip, and that's about like this. But a gimme was really in the grip, eight-inch putt. My son Josh, listen, at five, never missed a gimme. I'm not sure, Pastor, whether Pastor David plays golf. Do you play golf? He does not play golf, not going to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but I promise you, Pastor David, though he never plays golf, would never miss a gimme. We're talking an eight-inch putt. With the, with the advent of the electron microscope, here's what they've discovered. This is not a gimme. It's a hole-in-one. And the green is on the Monterey Peninsula and Pebble Beach, and the tee box is on the shores of Japan on the other side of the Pacific over 5,000 miles away. You see, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody can hit a golf ball 5,000 miles over the Pacific and drain it in Pebble Beach. Ladies and gentlemen, it would be much more difficult from a scientific perspective to get from the primeval soup, the amino acids, proteins, polypeptides, to a single cell. Anthony Flew, probably the most renowned atheist in the last 60 years, became a deist because of this issue, because of integrated complexity. He said, I agree with Einstein. You cannot explain the single cell, DNA, RNA, apart from an intelligent designer. Listen, you're not anti-science to be a believer. You don't have to check your brains at the door. Ladies and gentlemen, science proves that you can't explain the world we live in purely through naturalism. Number two, I believe in the claims of Christ historically. A guy took his, mo his mother-in-law over to, uh, to the Holy Land, and uh, she dies there. And they said to him, we, we can bury her here in the land of Jesus for $250, or we can ship her back to America for $5,000. He said, we'll ship her back. I obviously, you didn't understand we can bury her here for 250 If we ship her back, that's what costs you 5000 He said, well, ship her back. He said, why, why, would, why would you do that? He said, well, 2,000 years ago, they buried a Jewish carpenter here, and after three days, he was up. I can't take that chance. Ship her back. <laughs> so, what about this? The resurrection, is it really fact or fiction? Ladies and gentlemen, please get this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is literally one of the most documented facts in all of history. Let me give you a definition of a historical fact. A historical fact is information of the past based upon reliable testimony. For example, how do we know the Caesars of Rome existed? Nobody in this room ever met the Caesars of Rome. We don't doubt their existence. Why? Information of the past based on reliable testimony. I believe in the resurrection for three very simple reasons. Number one, the testimony of the apostles. Think about this. Of the original 11, 10 of them died martyrs' deaths. Why? Because of their claim and the resurrection. Now listen up, friends. If Jesus was not resurrected, the disciples knew it. They're the ones who would literally had to have made it up. Why would 10 people, three of them very wealthy, make up a story just so they can die for it? Hello. Number two, the changed lives of the apostles. You guys know that one of the greatest questions in secular history is what happened to the Apostle Paul? Secular history can't explain that. He met the resurrected living Lord Jesus on the 
road of Damascus and he was changed. Paul, you realize that Paul was not a brave person unless Jesus was around. You ever thought about that? The Last Supper, right after. By the way, have you ever thought about this? Leonardo da Vinci, the Last Supper painting. Do you really think the disciples sat on one side of the table on top of each other? It's like, get over here, squeeze in for the picture. I don't think so. <laughs> but after the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, all of you are going to deny me. Who's the one guy who said, if everybody denies you, I'm not? Who was it? Pete. He meant it. Who pulled out the sword? The Roman army, they're arresting Jesus. Who pulled out the sword to take on the whole stinking Roman army? Pete, he wasn't good with the sword. He got the ear. He went for the head, but the effort was there. And then, who was it that was warming his hands by the fire? Jesus is being tried. He's a couple of hundred feet away. And this teenage girl says, you're one of those disciples. He said, I am not. Here's a guy who's willing to take on the stinking Roman army with Jesus there to back him up. And he can't stand up to an adolescent girl. He denies Jesus three times. We see the same guy, though on the day of Pentecost, preaching to the same people that murdered Jesus, calling their murderers of the Lord of glory. How did he do that? The resurrected living Lord Jesus was alive inside of Peter. Then the empty tomb. History cannot explain the empty tomb. Ladies and gentlemen, they crucified Jesus. They mummified him. They put him in a rock-hewn tomb, two-ton stone, in uh, front of the opening ropes from either side with the wax seal of caesar the wax seal is only significant it's not that it's hard to break but if you break the image of caesar it's against the law and you die so how did that tomb get empty you really only have two viable options either the romans stole the body or the disciples did those are really your two bible there's some other brain dead things like hallucination for example uh in history <laughs> There is no record of a mass hallucination. A hallucination might work if you were arguing for one or two people having seen Jesus, but 500 people saw him at one time. Historically and psychologically, that argument is ridiculous. So really, you got two viable options, which are the disciples stole the body or the Romans stole the body. Well, A, had the Romans stole the body or the, or the Jews, they would have produced it. That's why they crucified Jesus. And the disciples, why would they make it up just so they can die for it? Ladies and gentlemen, history, in fact, proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the claims of Christ, number one, scientifically, historically, thirdly, prophetically. I want you to think with me. There are over 317 specific prophecies which detail virtually every aspect of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Some of these literally written over 1500 years before he was born the odds of even four of these being true in one person are you ready one in ten to the 40th power one in ten to the 40th power so, so that you can kind of put this in perspective i want you guys to imagine that literally every single square inch of the planet is covered by two inch by two inch ceramic tiles you guys with me there would be billions of them North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Antarctica, Australia, every square inch of land. There is one ceramic tile on the planet, just one, that has a black X on the bottom. Just one. The odds of even four of these being true in one person would be the same as me inviting someone to come up on the stage 
and guess the exact landmark in the world where that would be. We would fly you there, blindfold you, let you walk around at that landmark. You would get to bid over and pick up one tile, and the one tile you pick up would be the one with a black X. Those would be the odds of even four being true and one person. So I'm going to get a volunteer right here. We met right before, sir. Do you mind helping me out? Here's what I want you to do. Go stand right up there. And I want you to just be thinking, where would this be? You know what I'm saying? It could be at home plate, Yankee Stadium. It could be anywhere in the world. Mount Fuji in Japan. I'm going to tell the pastor where it is, okay? Make sure he can't hear this, okay? All right. Now, I want to tell you the difference between men and women. I was in Columbus, Ohio. It was January 10th about four years ago and I had a lady in the first service okay now you need to understand it was minus 15 degrees outside and I asked her where is this ceramic tile you know what she said the mall of America <laughs> it's 15 stinking degrees it's minus 40 in Minnesota at the mall of America she wants to go to the mall of America in the next service I asked a guy and he said, home plate, Yankee Stadium. All right, now that has nothing to do with this, really. I just thought you'd enjoy that. Where are we going here? Where is? The U.S. Capitol. The U.S. Capitol. Pastor? It, it, where is it? Sydney, Australia, the Opera House. Okay, you were like 13,000 miles away. Not too bad, though. Do you see how, the, let's give him a hand, okay? He helped us out here. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, the odds of four being true in one person would have been that he could guess that. The only way 317 prophecies can be true in one person is because it's true. Finally, I believe in the claims of Christ practically. Ladies and gentlemen, this is huge. Jesus Christ works. He works. Now, I'm not saying because he work, it works, it's true. But because it's true, it works. Let me ask this question. If you were going into a city and you're looking for the best food in the city, who would you ask? Would you ask a skinny person? <laughs> now listen, I, I, I'm not trying to be negative about people who aren't skinny, okay? I, I'm not, okay? I have a team of NFL guys that travel with me when I do major evangelistic events and uh, they do the winning choices in the schools now. I got a little too old for that. And, and my favorite NFL guy, let me describe him to you. His name is Devin. Guys, he's 6'7". He weighs 335 pounds. Guys, he bench presses 535 pounds. He leg presses 2,100 pounds. He runs the 40 and four six seven how would you like for this dude to hit you <laughs> he played for the new england patriots and uh and i'm just telling you when i take Devin and the team out to eat i've never taken him out to eat that he does not eat one not two most of the time three adult meals when Devin goes to kentucky fried chicken he licks everybody's fingers okay are you getting the picture here? <laughs> Okay, if I want to know where the good food is, I'm asking 
Devon. <laughs> he enjoys food. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know what works in life, talk to the people for whom life is working. Barna did some hard research. Who are the people who are most likely not to get a divorce, not to go bankrupt? Who are the people that are most likely to uh, not commit suicide? They're, they're happy, they're healthy, they have purpose and meaning in life. Who are the most likely to do that? Not Christians. Because almost 80% of America would say, I'm a Christian. But when you drill down and ask, is Jesus Christ the most important person in your life? And do you operate by a biblical worldview? When they ask those two questions, divorce is almost not measurable. These are literally the most healthy, productive people in America. Who are the most unhappy, the most likely to commit suicide? People who don't believe in God. Now here's the question. Do you know him? Has there ever been a time when you have begun a relationship with Christ in repentance and faith? Do you know him? There's a girl who came to one of my events and she said she'd received Christ at nine. Give me a break. From age nine to age 17, Jesus had never made a difference in her life. And not only had Jesus never made a difference in her life, it didn't bother her that Jesus had never made a difference. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says no change, no Jesus. Why call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons, do many, many works. And I will say to them, I never knew you. She prayed a little BBS prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. I want to go to heaven. That prayer won't get you there. To, to, to receive Christ, it takes repentance and faith. Repentance simply means this. You're going through life your own way, and you're willing to turn around and go God's way. Let me ask this question. What are the requirements for getting into heaven? Have you ever really thought about it? The answer is simple. Perfection. If you're, getting, you, you, if you're going to get to heaven, you cannot have a sin problem. I, I, the pastor told you I went to A&M. I'm not real smart, okay? They call an intelligent person on our campus at A&M a visitor, okay? <laughs> the, the thing I love most about being an Aggie is the Aggie sticker on my car allows me to use handicapped parking. Okay, I mean, so I, we're not smart. But if God, if God allowed sinful people like me into heaven, then heaven, hello, would be just like here. And the only way our sin is erased is through repentance and faith. I'm not asking if you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Jew, confused, or some kind of denomination. I'm not asking about whether or not you've been baptized. I'm asking, has there been a time when in repentance and faith you said, Jesus Christ, come into my life and take control of it. From now on, you are in charge. You say, how can I know whether I've done that or not? It's very simple. You can know you've done that just like I know I'm married. Do you know I've never had one doubt I'm married? I stood in front of God and a lot of other people said to my wife, Deborah, till death do us part next to God, you're it. I'm telling you, when you get married and you're a guy and you get married to a girl, everything changes. You ladies crack me up. You need support groups to go to the bathroom, for goodness sake. I mean, it's like... I was at a restaurant last night. This lady stood up and said, I need to go. Anybody else need to go? Can you imagine me saying to the pastor after the service, I need to go to the restroom. You want to go together? You'd think we're weird. <laughs> I used to enjoy the privacy of the restroom. I got married 34 years ago. Now, 
That's when my wife barges in. She wants to solve all the family problems. You ladies are emotional. We guys are logical. You ladies like chick flicks. Guys, we like to go to movies where cars go over cliffs and blow up. You, newborn, you ladies think newborn babies look pretty. They look like aliens. I was there when mine were born. I said to the doctor, put that back in and reset the timer. It's not done. I mean, we are different. And listen to this. You don't invite the God of the universe to come into your life and be in charge and forget you did it. It changes everything. I received Jesus Christ in a drunk tank when I was 17. What about you? You, you, don't, you may not remember the day or the hour, but if you've done this, you remember that event. And let me help you. If you don't remember that event, that event has never occurred. You know what some of you are thinking right now? Jerry, I know that everything you've said is true. I plan to do this, but I'm not doing it now. I want you to listen real carefully. If you leave this room today and you don't know Christ, and you're 14 or 15, only 15 in 100 receive Christ after age 14. Get this, one person in 100 receives Christ after age 25. One in 45,000 receive Christ after 35. One and a half a million after 55. You're not going to do later what you're not willing to do now. That's why the Bible says today is the day, now is the time. I'm begging you, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you and drawing you to begin this relationship with Christ today, do it now. Some of you have invited a friend or a neighbor to be with you today, and they're sitting by you. And you just tap them on the shoulder when you get the invitation, say, if you want to go the rest of the way, I'll help you finish it. There's an amazing book called Saving the World at Work. Tim Sanders challenged a group of business leaders, there are several thousand there, he said, if you have reduced your communication to emails and texts, shame on you. If you've not gone to the 30 people you love the most and shared with them your love and affection and how you feel about them, shame on you. He got an email about a week later from Steve. Steve said, guilty as charged. I have nine engineers that work for me. And in the last 90 days since their performance appraisal, I've not personally spoken to any of them. We work in the same building, but we text and we email. He said, I went to all nine reports yesterday, and I told them something that was very positive about their business performance, and then I told them how I felt about them. Today, Lenny came into my office. He had a gift wrapped Xbox 360 with my favorite John Madden game, and he gave it to me. I knew he couldn't afford it, so he blurted it out. I sold my Chrome nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol to buy this for you. He said, I thought I had no friends in this company. All my friends were on the internet. I thought if, if I died, you would only know that my pay stub wasn't cashed. You wouldn't miss me at all. All my friends were on the internet. That's where I learned about the suicide chat rooms. I learned how over 90 days that I could take my life. I have a pretty gun because they said buy a pretty gun so you won't be afraid of it. And I was almost there. But then yesterday, you put your sweaty arm around me. And you said, Lenny, I'm so glad that God brought you into my life. You're so important to me. He said, when I got home last night, 
I just couldn't do it. So in exchange for my life and my soul and my future, this Xbox is for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all surrounded by Lenny's. And what they need is not real complicated. They need some unconditional love, a little encouragement, and the gospel. Some of you are sitting by someone that you love very much and they need Jesus. Tap them on the shoulder and say, I'll go with you. Invite someone to come back and be with you tonight. There are Lenny's all around us. Some of you right now, you don't know Christ. And you're saying, Jerry, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I'm going through. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to clean up to come to God or get ready to come to God. All you got to do is just show up at the foot of the cross. And then he'll take it from there. I'm begging you, if you don't know that you know, come. Let's go back to that car. These men were driving down the freeway. And then the accident. They go up into the air, their hearts racing. And they hit the pavement and their heart stops. Ladies and gentlemen, if that were you, where would you be? I'm not trying to scare you. But I want you to know statistically, for most of you in this room, what you decide today will be your final answer. I'm begging you to nail it down today. Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity to get into your word. Have your way in every life, that's my prayer. I pray that not one person would leave this room without a relationship with you and repentance and faith. And that as believers that we'll leave with passion passion to make a difference where we live, work, and play. These are critical times. You're coming back soon. Lord, we're living in the last few seconds of history. Thank you for what you'll do today. Holy Spirit, rule and reign. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. How many of you would say to me right now, Jerry, I know for sure and for certain, if I were to die right now, if Christ were to come back, I know I would go to heaven. Lift them up real high. Don't if you can't, be honest. Thank you. Put them down. How many of you would say, Jerry, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to be sure. I don't know, but I want to. How many of you would be honest and say, that's me? Raise your hand. Lift them up real high. Thanks for being honest. God bless you. Thank you for being honest. Any others? Just up and right back down. You have to keep them up. Thank you for being honest. I'll see you in the back. Any others? Just up and right back down. Lord, I lift up these who raised their hands, those who didn't want to. Give them the courage to do right now what they'll be so glad they've done on the day they finally and forever stand before you. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to rule and reign in this place. I want to ask you, if you will, to open your eyes and look right into mine. We had several folks who raised your hands to say, I don't know, but I want to. And we had, I know that there were 15, 20 people. You wanted to raise your hand, just didn't have the courage to do it. And here's what we're going to do. As we stand, if you raised your hand or you did not and you wanted to, you don't know that you have a reservation, but you want to make one. You want to go to heaven. You want to win in life. Then I'm going to ask you as you stand to keep moving and come forward. You say, why should I come publicly? I want to answer that for you. I don't do it because it's Baptist. I do it because it's biblical. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. Every person he ever called in the New Testament, he called publicly. So I'm going to ask you to come because Jesus said to. If you're saying, I want him to be the boss, and yet you're not willing to take a public stand, then you're not willing for him to be the boss. And so I'm going to ask you to come because he said to. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to come for a very practical reason. They're going to be counselors. They'll be coming as you come, and they'll 
be right over here in this area waiting for you. So as we stand and sing in a moment, the counselors will be coming and they'll be waiting. And they're gonna spend, spend a few moments with you to help you begin this relationship with Christ and then give you some material to help you grow. You're not coming to be a Baptist. You're not coming to join this church or to be baptized. Though you can do those things if you want. You're coming to say, I want to begin this relationship with Christ. We'll help you do that and allow you to go back and join your friends. Some of you have received Christ. You've invited him to come into your life, but you've never followed the Lord in a believer's baptism. Ladies and gentlemen, please look into my eyes. That's a command. It's not an option. If you've invited Christ to come into your life, the next thing he wants you to do is take, take a public stand and follow him in believer's baptism. Today is your day. I'm begging you to come. Some of you have been visiting this great church, and God is saying it's time to stop visiting, be a part of the family. So as we stand and as we sing, you would come. Let's stand, let's sing. You come on right now. Be first. And I